Good morning. Welcome to the Building a Foundation Steps 1 through 3 workshop, the Ask It Basket workshop. My name is Sheila. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi, Hi, everybody. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, some housekeeping, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off. To protect our anonymity, no photography or visual recording are allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. An Ask It Basket, Is being circulated as soon as we get organized. Is being circulated for the question and answer portion of this meeting. This meeting is being taped. If you enjoy this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tape table to order copies of this workshop or any other meeting. They are available on CD or as an electronic download. The format for this meeting is as follows. Two speakers will share for 25 minutes each, followed by 25 minutes of Q&A. The topic for this session is building a foundation, steps one through three. Our first speaker is Shirley, and our second speaker will be Betsy. I'd like to welcome our first speaker, Shirley. started, um, I just uh, need to breathe a little bit, and anyone who wants to join me in the serenity prayer, um, please do so. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. I have some pictures um, that are going around, and you will see my body in all different um, sizes. Um, I kind of describe my body sizes um, kind of like an accordion or the stock market, you know? <laughs> And I came into um, Overeaters Anonymous back in July 18, 1992. So this July will be 18 years. And at that time, I took the scales at 240 pounds. Um, and I actually stretched out the elastic in these pants. I keep the pants as a reminder of the progress I've made. And actually, tomorrow, I will be celebrating, by the grace of, of my higher power, uh, 16 years of imperfect back-to-back -back absence since my last relapse. 
I, I actually live in Sunnyvale, which is in the San Jose area. And for those of you who've never heard me, um, I just want to qualify by saying um, what you will hear me uh, share this morning, um, I don't represent OA. And this has just been my experience, strength, and hope. I also want you to know that if you're looking for a speaker who has done this program perfectly, I'm not it. Okay. Um, I am a perfect example of imperfection. For almost 18 years, I've been coming up and suiting up for OA. I've done as much service as I possibly can. And... For whatever reason, um, God has chosen to keep me here, you know, because there have been times when I basically have wanted to put on my running shoes, um, make some gestures on my way out, and, and to tell you that this program doesn't really work. But for some reason, I've had a sponsor or something has happened to me, and I've stayed. And I'm grateful for the fact that I stayed. And the truth of it is, there really isn't any other place for me to go other than to stay here and to work out my issues. Um, my husband said to me uh, a long time ago that I really needed to face my demons. So I'm not supposed to spend um, a lot of time on qualifying, but you will hear um, parts of my story um, in this share. So I love the, uh, the name of this workshop, Building a Foundation, Steps 1 through 3. And what I suggest to the women that I sponsor is basically to think of yourself as a house, okay? Because this is what we're doing is we're building a foundation. And Dr. Bob, um, he was a man of very few words. He was able to summarize the 12 steps in six words, okay? First, it was trust God, steps one through three. Clean house, steps four through 11. Help others, step 12. I mean, can you make it any simpler? You know? Um, and we do. We need a really good foundation for our house. And step one says, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. The way that I sponsor is I use the big book and I use the AA 12 and 12. And it's kind of interesting, uh, both in the two 12 and 12s, they do use admission. And in AA, um, the spiritual principle for step one is admission. Um, step one requires an admission that our lives have become unmanageable. How could people such as these take this step? You know, and it's kind of interesting. If you look at some of our steps, um, 
you know, they use a hyphen or, or they use some other kind of punctuation. Um, so there's like really more than one topic in the step. And uh, one of the things that I do with my sponsorees <clears throat> is after they uh, do a bunch of reading in the literature, I ask them to write me um, some information. I need them to convince me that they have a problem. And it can be as long or as short as they want it to be. And they provide um, proof, facts, examples, whatever, um, illustrating that they have a problem. I don't want to um, end up um, reading um, a bunch of quotes, which I actually have in front of me, because then it becomes like um, a literature study. But when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, I was basically like a candle. And I felt like one of those flickering candles where the light was about ready uh, to be blown out. Um, and I didn't really understand this program. I didn't really know what 12-step was about. Um, but I trusted that maybe, just maybe, um, both the alcoholics and the compulsive overeaters knew something that I didn't know. And so I stayed. And in step two, the spiritual principle is hope. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So in July of 1992, I came. I came to this program. Okay. I didn't come on my own volition. Okay. A doctor my medical doctor recognized that something was wrong with me. And she said, a woman who has over 100 pounds on her body, there's a reason why you're eating. Okay. And she suggested that I go to a commercial diet, which many of us have tried many times, and it's never worked for me. Okay. And the other thing that she said was that I needed to go to OA. I go, what's OA? She said, Overeaters Anonymous. I go, well, why do you want me to go there? She said, <laughs> she said um, they will provide you with the emotional support that you need. And being the good little girl that I am, I always follow instructions. And so I went. Uh, I went to that meeting, and I decided I didn't really like the meeting, and I swore I would never go to that meeting. Well, three weeks later, um, my temporary step sponsor um, agreed to meet me at that meeting. So I, I went. And, and that woman, uh, she raved about the meeting, about how great the meeting was. And as a result of that, I kept going back to that meeting. Uh, she also encouraged me to buy the big book, you know, because I didn't understand 
what a book about alcoholics had to do with compulsive overeating or people who had a problem with weight. Um, one of the, and then I came to, I, I had a period of relapse which lasted for about six months. And for anybody who isn't relapse, has ever experienced relapse, um, I was in a lot of denial. And one of the acronyms for denial is don't even know when I'm lying. Um, I think that then I was really cocky and complacent, you know. And finally, it took me almost seven years from the time I walked into program, I, I came to believe. OA doesn't tell us that we have to believe in God, only that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Um, Something that my um, sponsor often says is, she always wanted the other person to be restored to sanity. <laughs> you know, um, but she realized later on the person who needed to be restored was herself. And we have a saying about um, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And, you know, um, I've been with this uh, one sponsor for, like, over 11 years. And occasionally when I call her, I'll say to her, you know, um, this particular food has really been calling to me. And I just think that if I could eat this one thing, and, and then I'll go back to the way that I was eating. And she'll laugh at me over the telephone and tell me how crazy I am. She goes, Shirley, you're a compulsive overeater, you know? And sometimes we have to kind of negotiate on the food. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that. Um, I think I'll, I'll move on to step three. Um, the spiritual principle behind step three is commitment. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Okay. For me, step three is basically a contract. And we all know it's found on page 63 in the big book. And I know... Sometimes people have trouble with the exact wording that's in that prayer. You know, they don't like all the these and the vows and the whatever. And so the assignment that I give them is before we sign a contract, we read all the words. And if you have trouble with uh any of the words in that particular prayer, I want you to look them up and, and make sure you know what they mean. And you can also paraphrase the third step prayer. But when we come together and you take your third step prayer, I want you to remember that you are signing a contract with your higher power. 
And I also see it as crossing a threshold, that once you take that step, that whatever you did before, you can never go back. You know, because sometimes we like to play games. I don't know if anybody here likes to play games. But we think, like, you know, it doesn't really count, you know, if we if we deviate or if we do something. But it does. It really does matter to our higher power. And actually, in the OA 12 and 12, this is what it says. We will no longer simply do what we feel like doing or what we think we can get away with. Instead, we will earnestly seek to learn God's will for us. Then we will act accordingly. You know, and there's kind of like this little joke about made a decision. And most of you guys have probably heard it. If there are three frogs sitting on a log, and one makes a decision, how many frogs are left? Three. Because when you make a decision, it doesn't mean you've actually acted on it or, or done something, you know. Um, so, um, okay. I want to um, divert back um, to step one, which is actually covered in our OA 12 and 12. And they talk about uh, a daily requirement. Okay. If a person had cancer or they were diabetic, they wouldn't negotiate on whether or not they should take their medicine. Okay. They would just take it. And it's the same thing with us, you know, with the meetings or working with your sponsor. Um, we just do it. The other thing is, um, intellectually, we may know a lot of things about ourselves, but we don't really want to admit that something is really going on. Okay, intellectually, I I know that I need to take care of some things regarding my health and my weight. Okay. But in my heart of hearts, have I really gotten it? And there's kind of like this drop until, and it, our literature says, until we have gone from our head to our heart, we have not really taken step one. And that is really critical. Um, what happened to Bill W. in the beginning of the writing of the big book, he had to go to a friend who was not in the fellowship, who, who had to let Bill know that he had a problem. Because before we can get to the solution, we have to know what the problem is. And that's critical no matter what, even in business. And finally, I just want to kind of um, wrap this up. Um, the theme of this convention is called Bridge to Recovery. Recently, a newcomer asked me if she could work the steps in a random order. 
I suggested that there was a reason why they were numbered in sequence and that it works best if she took them one at a time. The theme of this convention is classic because of the geographical location we're in. I like to think of it as where we started when we first came into recovery on one end of the bridge and we are walking across to reach the other end. Eventually, we will reach our destination, but in doing so, we will have traveled the path of recovery. Sometimes the path is a straight line, curvy, bumpy, with lots of unexpected twists and turns. However it turns out, our higher power is always leading us, and we will meet many people on the path, as we trudge the road of happy destiny. Thanks. Thank you so much, Shirley. I'd now like to introduce our next speaker, Betsy. My name is Betsy. I'm a gratefully recovering compulsive reader and a member of Shirley's tribe. I've been perfectly, imperfectly abstinent for 18 and a half years, and one day at a time, and maintaining a 50-pound weight loss at a time. So I have my pictures to send around. Um, I have to breathe too. <laughs> um, as often as I speak, and, and as often as I speak for business, you think that I'd be comfortable doing this, but even after all these years, it's really challenging to get up here and sort of bare your soul. Um, one of the things that belatedly came to me, because I wanted to do the, um, I told uh, uh, Mitch I wanted to do the over 50, or the aging gracefully thing, because I wanted to find out how to do it, and now um, that's happening and I'm here, but I realized later what a gift that was to speak about these steps because one of the things that I really believe about steps one, two, and three is that they're, they're constant. They're not something you do once in this program, but you keep redoing them over and over and in some ways every day for me. Um, I had a reminder of that last week. I was in San Diego for the weekend and um, I lived there 25 years ago and that was one of the places where my eating was uh, at its height, I guess I could say. And I, even though it's close by, I haven't been back uh, very often. So I, I was there with my husband. We had had a fun run-around day. And then um, I wanted to take a walk, but he didn't want to come with me. So I thought, oh, I'm going to go along the waterfront where I used to spend a lot of time. And the reason I used to spend a lot of time there was because there's this place called Seaport Village that had some of my favorite food. And um, so I'm walking along, and... All of a sudden, it popped in my head, I could have that, and he'll never know. And I went, oh, my God, did you hear what your mind just said? You know, like, after 18 and a half years, you still can think with the sneaky, compulsive, overeating, messed up brain. And it really shocked me that that's where my mind can still instantly go. Um, so 
one of the things that, that I was thinking about this morning when I was getting ready with, what, you know, what do I want to wear? And, and I thought, because um, I want to be reminded of moments like that, I also want to be reminded of why I'm here. So I decided to wear this dress that I bought 16 years ago, you know, which still fits 16 years later, and which um, uh, 10 years ago when I chaired the convention, I was looking at pictures and I had this dress on. So, so if you've seen it before, not that I'm being self-obsessed, you know, that you care what I wear, but if you've seen it before, that's why. <laughs> but I thought it was, it was really um, important to me to realize, you know, why I'm here and how I need to keep working these steps over and over. And I've done it in a lot of different ways. I've done it with... Um, my sponsor. I've done it in groups. I've done it with sponsees. And I'm actually just about to embark on steps one, two, and three. Again, I hope it's okay to mention this. Um, with the how, uh, what do they call it? 30-day commitment, recommitment to steps one, two, and three, which I am I'm really loving because um, I depend a lot on the OA 12 and 12. I love that book. It didn't exist when I came in. And so when it did come about, I thought, wow, this really speaks to me. You know, these, what this book says really is my story. And yet these, this recommitment to the steps one, two, and three focuses a lot on the big book. And so I've been going back to the big book and reading it. And that's been really very cool and eye-opening for me because as many times as I've read it, every time I read any of our literature, really, I get something new out of it. So... Um, That realization I had last week was really mind-blowing, and it, it made me realize that, you know, I had behaviors then around food that I can talk about, and I have behaviors now around food and my life that I can talk about. Um, last night's speaker said something that I loved. When normal eaters are full, they stop eating. When compulsive overeaters are full, they're just getting started. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that is true. That is so me because I know when I do have a little too much food, it doesn't feel like a little too much food. It feels like, okay, what can I do next? Where can I go next? And, I, and again, you know, it's so mind-blowing to me that I still think that way and that I think things like I travel a lot for business, and so I have some pretty good – I, I like to say discipline, but it's not really discipline. I talk about discipline like it's a practice, and a practice is something you do over and over again. I do it with my spiritual practice. I do it with my food practice. And my practice is that when I travel, I have a certain type of food I eat for lunch, and I don't go to the other sexy parts of the menu because they're not my food. But still, I a few months ago, I decided that I could take back this one food that I haven't eaten for 18 years but only when I'm traveling. You know, like, what's the logic there? <laughs> There's no logic. There's no logic. But I thought, you know, I don't buy it at home. It's not in my refrigerator. It's protein. I need some of that protein sometimes. Of course, I could eat a whole stick of that protein without the other things that typically go with it. And I realized, you know, I just have to keep doing these steps over and over again to remember, you know, what it was like 18 and a half years ago before I came in. Um, so what I did 20 years ago that around food was a lot of the typical things that we do, you know, ordering whole pizzas. I remember once I ordered a whole pizza. I was living in Chicago, and it came, and it was kind of burned. So I called, and I said, the pizza's burned. And then they brought me a new one, and I ate them both. You know, those sorts of behaviors that 
I don't do now, but the things that I do do now, you know, are still with me. Some of the things that I did then were uh, what people call geographics. I mean, I thought that if I moved to San Francisco or San Diego or Chicago or Philadelphia or wherever it was, and I've lived all of those places and many more, that my life would be very different. And I remember distinctly thinking of San Francisco because I loved it here. Um, coming across, like my vision was coming across the Bay Bridge in a convertible with my hair flying and my boyfriend, <laughs> and my boyfriend, you know, and I didn't have boyfriends because one of, you know, my behaviors was that, well, first of all, you know, at my weight, I was, I didn't feel like who could love this person, but whoever did, like whatever man did or, you know, appear to, I would gladly accept those affections and attention. I didn't make the choice. I was part of their choice. And that is pretty darn unmanageable. But what what being unmanageable looks like to me today is that I um, I work too much. I, I'm involved in um, a big community project right now. I do that too much. I don't sleep enough. I... Um, you know, I just, every second of my day is jammed these days. And yesterday I actually had a meltdown, and part of it was that, you know, I was sitting at my desk and um, in my office at home, and all of a sudden I noticed this weird feeling, and I had gotten hives all over my face and my neck and my, and I don't ever get that. You know, that's not something that I'm prone to. So that to me was like a, this wake-up call that, you know, my life it can easily go back to being as unmanageable as it was 20 years ago but that might be in different ways. And for me, it all, it all sort of evolves into this restless, irritable, and dis- discontent way I am in life. And it is a way that I can, I remember being at a meeting and hearing someone use this analogy, and that, it's so me. Going down the street with both elbows out. In other words, you knock into everything that's in your way, like with a stubborn um, anger. And, and that, that is not what I want to be. And that is what can happen to me when I let my life become unmanageable, which is really easy to do for me, unfortunately. So both the admissions, like Shirley was saying, it's two parts. You know, I'm powerless over food. I was able to admit that. I mean, two pizzas in one night is proof of that. Um, Life has become unmanageable. That one was hard for me to buy into. But when I did, I felt like, Step one was one of the most freeing things I had done. Because once I admitted those things, then I could look for a new way of doing things in my life. Which takes me to step two. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And for me, this was really an act of this step because um, I did not have a spiritual program at that time. I was a recovering Episcopalian. I was not connected to any type of higher power. And one of the things it says in this book, which I totally agree with, is this program is hardest for for those of us that try to intellectualize it. Those of us that, you know, think that we're smart and we can't accept the simpleness of this program. And the simpleness of this program does not mean easy, as we've all discovered. But it it does mean simple. It means not making it more complicated than it needs to be. And for me, that simplification at that time was um, to just do what my sponsor said. That was the act of this part for me. And she told me to do things like um, if I resented somebody, to pray for them for 14 days. And 
that was one of the things, just little things like that showed me how this program works and showed me how um, higher power could manifest in my life. But what it also required was that I, that I formulated, if that's the right word, my own um, opinion or image or captured who that higher power was for me. I didn't see myself as being insane because I had a good job. Um, I had gone to college and grad school. But what was really insane is not just the behaviors I described, but I really removed myself from other parts of life to eat. I didn't go to social events a lot, even though it was very connected to my work. And if I did go, then I would typically eat and then leave there and get other things to eat. And I was, because I was in sales and on the road a lot, I could spend the better part of my day collecting all those things that I was going to eat that night, um, me and my cat. And, um, and, and that's just crazy. It's just crazy. And then I also, as part of this program, part of my recovery includes um, giving up alcohol, and uh, I quit a pack-a-day smoking habit. And the alcohol thing for me, you know, is probably something that I should have gone to AA for, but by the grace of God, I was able to work my OA program around that. And that, to me, was one of the biggest gifts, because very much like the food, I had tried, you know, several different times to let go of the alcohol, and it just wasn't happening for me. And then I feel like it was connected really to a couple of spiritual experiences that I had that I'll, I'll talk about a little bit later. But I do think, you know, I see this, this program, um, this step particularly is going from hopelessness to hope. You know, it, it took me out of that place where I had a lot of shame and hiding about my life, you know, with, with the behaviors I was talking about, the food gathering and, and um, skipping out on, on pieces of my life. But, but because, you know, you can be so in denial, don't even know I'm lying, I, you know, I thought, well, I'm just, it's just the food. I'm not really insane. You know, I'm, I'm not, I've got a normal life. I've got a job. I've got this, I've got that. But I quickly learned that those things were not working so well either. And, you know, walking with the both elbows out was one of those reasons. Because if, you know, if I don't have um, the recovery that these steps give me, it doesn't matter if I have a job or I don't have a job, if I have a husband or I don't have a husband, because I can be equally as messed up and dysfunctional in those things as I can without them. So, um, I felt like I had a couple of spiritual awakenings around connecting with my higher power. One was I, I happened to go away for a retreat and um, had 10 days to just really sort of be with myself and be who I uh, wanted to be. And then the other one was I was in program, I think, for about uh, three or four years. And I suddenly went into this depression that lasted for well, at that point, a couple of years. And it was really astounding to me because, I, you know, I, had, de I was de had depression before, but never chronically like that. And I really felt like something was truly wrong with me. Um, so what that did, though, was make me work my program harder. 
and it gave me this connection with God that I didn't have before. I mean, I, every morning I had a ritual around what I did, which included, um, a, you know, a prayer and meditation ritual. And I remember one of our wonderfully diehard OA people saying, if you can be abstinent, then you've won that day. You know, it doesn't matter how fucked up your life is if you can be abstinent. And, and it was true. I mean, I felt like I got through that time um, by the grace of God um, with my abstinence. And, and I think the only way that I was able to do that was with the connection to my higher power. This thing, also something I was reading in the AA 12 and 12, and I really liked this saying, was that we need a faith that works under all conditions. And I like that because I, I really have a tendency to, to what does that mean? Ten minutes, great. Um, to, to lean on my higher power when things are bad, but I also have a tendency to lean away from my higher power when things are good. And it reminds me that it has to be an ongoing connection because that's the only way my life stays good. You know, kind of can have this incremental downhill slide if I don't pay attention. So step three, um, I had a wonderful sponsor for about six years, and I called my food into her every morning at 6.30, and this was part of the, the active program I was talking about. Um, and she's still a very important person in my life, even though she's not in this program. And I think that that was, one of, for me, one of the most important foundations, is to, to have a sponsor, you know, listening to um, our previous speaker and how she really, how thoughtfully she sponsors people, I realized that, Without that in my life, I don't know if I would have stuck around these rooms. You know, because without a sponsor, there isn't that grounding. And that, that, the group and my sponsor had to serve as my higher power for a while. And in the book, it even says, I don't want to do too much rifling through it, but if I can find it quickly, that we do that until we can depend on God or a higher power that really works for us. But, you know, at some point, that, that they're human. You're human, we're human, so that doesn't work anymore, and we have to really come to a place where we have um, a higher power that we can depend on all the time. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. And this, for me, was an incredibly freeing experience because I thought that to really get what I want in life, it had to be a struggle, it had to be hard work, it had to be you know, manipulated for anything we're doing in life, right? It's that way, right? And what I quickly learned from this program is that the letting go process of all of that thinking and turning my life over not only makes things much easier, but it took my life, it takes my life in a, in a way that I really would prefer to live it. Um, so I found it was just the opposite. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean... That hard work isn't important. You know, I talked a l mentioned a little earlier about my belief in, in a practice or a discipline around our program. But it doesn't mean, you know, that we have to, like, bang our heads against the wall. At least that's what works for me. And, you know, that's really essential for me when I travel because it's really easy to let things go to hell in a handbasket. If you can't take your meetings with you, if you can't take your higher power with you, and if you can't um, work these steps. And that's why it's great that we have so many tools because those things serve me when I'm on the road. Um, when I was, as I mentioned, I, was, I went through this really bad depression and I still struggle quite a bit with depression, but I was um, going on 40 and 
had, and I decided, I was actually 38, I decided to buy a house because I, you know, didn't know if I was ever going to get married. And I thought, you know, you have to quit waiting for that white picket fence and build your own. <laughs> so I was living in San Francisco and I decided to buy a, a tenancy in common, it's called, where you're on the same loan. It's kind of a scary thing because you may, you may not know the people, but you, you know, like our realtors matched us up to buy this two-flat house together. And it was um, these wonderful two men that were a couple. And shortly after we moved in, they um, they decided they broke up and they decided they wanted to get out of the deal. And you know, I remember thinking, sorry, I always cry. That I was really fucked. You know, that I really I was going to be a bad lady, right? And then, of course, the depression pointing into that didn't help it. And I remember thinking, you know, one day it just came to me while I was sitting at my desk that I wasn't going to be financially ruined, that I was going to be taken care of, that I was going to be okay. And I don't know what took me to that place because it wasn't really anything I did differently than what I do around my um, spiritual program normally. But it did underscore to me that you can't get to that place by forcing it. You know, you have to, for me, I just have to do the footwork, and I'll get there. Um, so they sold their portion of the house, and a lot of you know this part of my story, but they sold their portion of the house to this um, young woman who was more like me, so it was great because it brought the right energy and mojo to the house. But also, I met her brother, and we got married. <laughs> so... So we've been, is that the end? Okay, good. So um, we've been married for nine years, and I, so I got married at the age of 41, and um, <laughs> it was so funny, just a little aside, for those of you who are in the same situation, I was with my 24-year-old niece a couple weeks ago, and she has this boyfriend that her parents don't approve of, nor do I, but I try to be the cool aunt. And she says, Aunt Beth, I just don't want to be like you and not be married till I'm 41. <laughs> And I said, Ellen, I need to tell you, my life was very rich and full without my husband, but it's richer and fuller with him because he's just the perfect person for me, and he wouldn't have been 15, 20 years ago. So um, that to me was really a lesson in that, that, kind of, that trust and that, that work around our program. Another um, recent experience I had was when my mom was dying about a year and a half ago, and that was really challenging. I mean, that was one of those things, knowing intuitively the right thing to do. And I have three wonderful sisters, so all four of us were there. My mom had fallen, and, and so it was kind of sudden, even though she was 85 and her health wasn't great. And she just, you could tell that she just gave up. She was ready to go. And there were like a million things we could have done to keep her here. And we had to sit down with the doctor and my father and make a decision about what would she really like and what was really best for her. And instead of um, the selfish things that I would want, we were able to make the right decision. And, and the, the beauty of that was that um, I was able to spend the last two and a half weeks of her life with her, which I never thought I would do because I live here and she lives in New York. So my parents live in New York. So. I remember, you know, we, we kind of entrusted my oldest sister, who is, an, or my second oldest sister, who's an amazing nurse, to really sort of guide us through the process. 
And I remember thinking how um, hard it was for her and what a gift she gave us by, you know, being that go-to person and also being sort of a primary caretaker for my mom when she was in hospice. Um, But I also think one of the gifts was that, you know, I never second-guessed her. I never tried to um, impose what I thought was the right thing to do or, you know, what my selfish desires were. And, you know, things just went the way they were supposed to. And my mom was around for two and a half weeks, and we got to spend all the time with her and, you know, sing with her and spend nights with her and um, sit in the nursing home with a cat on my lap and, you know, all of those things that, that made us be able to, you know, let go of her. And, you know, without this program, I know that I can't do those things. I can't be what I call the person I want to be seen as in this world. I can't be the person who does the right things. I can't be the person who um, doesn't make decisions based on their own selfish needs. And so that, to me, is why steps one, two, and three have to be a constant in my life, you know, because... I can't, uh, I can't live a life if I'm taking foods back while I'm on the road. You know, I can't live a life if I abandon, you know, my higher power. I can't live the life I want and be the person I want to be if I don't have the sanity to not engage in, um, you know, politics at work and things like that that just bring everything down. So I know that the way, the route for that for me is to work steps one, two, and three work all the steps, but to never think that I'm done working the steps, that I always have to come back, because what these three steps tell us is I came, I came to, and I came to believe, and that's really my story. So, thank you. Thank you so much. We're now going to... Thank you. Get the Ask It basket, and then our speakers can answer some questions. I think probably the easiest way to do this without the logistics of shuffling back and forth is if you would like to come up here and maybe both address questions as you see fit, if that's okay. So I'm going to leave the basket up here, and you can go through and decide if one or both of you would like to address the questions, if that's all right. what it says. Hi, I'm working the sixth and seventh now. I feel that the further I get, the more service I do, the more phone calls, meetings I attend, literature I read. The first three steps, I can't, God can, I'll, I'll let God, happens randomly more and more often and most times without me consciously working on them. Epiphanies, tiny spiritual experiences. Do you have similar experiences, thoughts, any of them? Wow, this is kind of like a really loaded way out there, so I don't really um, know what to focus on. Um... For me, is as far as the um, 
the spiritual experiences go, I guess the best way I can equate it to is it's kind of like sex or like um, orgasms and stuff. Um, and the thing of it is um, you can have a, a really great one, and then the next time it may not quite be the same. But the other thing is um, when, when something happens to me spiritually, um, there isn't any way that I can articulate that experience to another person. You, I really feel like it's yours, and, and you just have to kind of like take it all in. Um, and I don't really know if this answers the question. I have two quick and easy ones, and one, Shirley, you might want to answer, too. But the first one is, speaker two, why did you not join AA when you quit drinking? You know, that's a really good question, but I think I just felt like I could work that issue in my life in the OA program. And that if I had a choice of, from a time standpoint, if I could get to a meeting, at my primary addiction I felt was the food, and that's what I would do is get to a, an OA meeting. Um, and I, I love the AA literature, so I feel like I get a lot out of the big book and the AA 12 and 12, which really sort of address that side of my one of my many addictions. Um, can you both talk about what specific foods you eat and your food plan? I eat three meals a day, nothing in between, no sugar, um, a, a wide variety of other things that I don't um, add, like butter. <laughs> the travel food, because it doesn't serve me, you know, and it's one of those that gets, really does get out of hand with me, and so I have a handful of those. Um, and that's the, the food plan that, by and large, has worked for me for the last 18-some years. But surely you want to answer that, too. Pacific um, Foods. Um, for for me, um, what I'm realizing as I'm getting older, um, I'm actually uh, 61, and as far as the foods, uh, what I'm experiencing is that the foods that I used to eat when I first came into program, and they were on a, a food plan that really worked well for me, uh, no longer work. And, you know, that's kind of like the bad news. You know, the good news, the bad news kind of thing. And I, I think for each one of us, we, we have to decide what really works for us. You know, if you were on a food plan or a diet and you really felt good in your body, then, then maybe that's um, a good food for you. And if you eat something and it doesn't feel so good, um, then that's probably a food that you need to avoid. Um, I experienced this um, probably in my first or second year of absence. And I took the teeniest, tiniest taste you could possibly take of something because I had a curiosity. And and my body spoke to me, and it said, look, if you don't want to feel this way, then don't give it to us. It's that simple. 
When you are when you are at a goal weight or are abstinent, how do you keep yourself grounded and prevent weight gain? How do you maintain a program? I have to echo a little bit of what Shirley says. You know, it, when I was 31, it was a little easier than it is at 50 because my metabolism has changed a lot and I have things that I didn't have before. <laughs> and um, so for me, it really is being conscious of having to eat a little less and also exercise is a huge part of my program. And that, for me, is not just a physical thing. That's a mental and spiritual thing. And it typically, for me, is also outdoors because that's where I connect best with God. But, again, it, for me, it's like having a daily practice. And it's also remembering, you know, that because we're not newcomers anymore doesn't mean we still don't have to do those things that we did when we were newcomers. And there are times when I really say to myself, you've got to get back to basics. And that means more phone calls, that means more meetings, whatever it is. Um, it's hard to keep it fresh, but it's important to do it. And then the other one, and surely if you want to answer this, I was just trying to be efficient. Um, can you please sum up how you sponsor newcomers through steps one and two? What's most important? Or one, two, three. three. I um, have done it a variety of ways. I've used some of the things that my sponsors have done with me. I really like the idea of, in step one, um, talking about food history and food issues and those sorts of things to qualify as a compulsive overeater. And um, and I also require that my sponsees call me with their food at least for a few years. I know that sounds crazy, but people have. And, um, and I can't sponsor people that have extraordinarily different food plans than, than me. And it's not because I have any judgment about them. It's because I might want what you have, and I don't really need that. So um, I think that probably something that you want to answer either of those. Okay. Um, this one, which Betsy touched on, uh, when you are at goal weight or in absence, how do you keep yourself grounded and prevent gain weight? Gain, uh, gaining weight, how do you maintain in program? Well, my truth today is, um, and always has been, I'm not really 100% really good at maintaining um, a certain weight. Um, I have had some successes with maintaining a goal range, but um, that's about the closest I've come to. This one says, today, how does each of you define absence? Um, for me, I see absence as having some boundaries. And so the way that I define um, absence has to do with um, the action and the behavior around the eating. But it doesn't have anything to do with um, any particular um, foods. Um, the food plan covers um, the foods. And this one says, please speak about how you guide your sponsees if they are stuck in step two or step three. Um, usually if a person is stuck on a particular step, it means they need to go back to the 
the previous step because um, it means that there was something um, that they hadn't actually dealt with. Um, I have um, a sponsoree, and she actually got stuck on writing. And, and that's really difficult because she wanted me to take her through the steps. And I explained to her um, that the way I do it is with reading and writing. And I had to figure out a way to get her unstuck with the writing, you know. And so we took really baby steps until she was able to get to the place where she could actually read and write. Um, one other thing I wanted to add about how I sponsor, um, I, too, am big on writing, but I don't let my sponsees type me their responses because I feel like the computer's connected to the brain and the pen is connected to the heart, and it's very different what comes out from both of those things. Um, so if you're angry with God, what do you suggest? Oh, I've been angry with God many times, and... I, for me, the best thing I could do was to write letters to God, to write about it, and to not walk away from God because I was angry. Because it goes to that thing, you know, I need a higher power that serves me in good times and bad. And I, I used to think that if I was angry with God and I expressed it in any way, I would be abandoned. And so you, you only do, like, the thankful stuff with God. But I... In this program, I felt I learned that that wasn't true, but I also felt like one of the best ways to move through it for me has been writing. Okay, um, this one says, "Can you do the steps without a sponsor?" Okay, um, I have heard. Um, some people who, who basically tried to sponsor themselves. And I have to tell you, um, I've not known anyone who's actually been successful in, in doing that. Because the way that this program is, it's, it's a we program. It's not a me program. Because if it was a me program, all we'd have to do is sell you the book and we would never see you again. And um, and the other thing um, said, how do you know if you're really if you've really done this step well or right? Um, if you're working with a sponsor, um, that person has experienced strength and hope that they can pass on to you. And between the two of you, you can actually have a dialogue, you know, as to whether or not it's time for you to move on to the next step. Uh, this one says, I feel like I need to work on my step two stuff. I know I'm powerless over food, but without step two, I feel hopeless. How do I find a higher power which I can trust? and believe could restore me to sanity. Um, actually, in 2000, when Betsy was the convention chair, I was the entertainment chair. And we actually did a skit where the newcomer 
needed to go find um, a new higher power. And and this long timer came by with the big book and she helped her. Basically, um, she did a, a call to higher powers. And and four four of them applied for the job. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember that? Um, anyway, the the newcomer was uh, really confused. She didn't really know who to pick, so she ended up picking three of the higher powers that came forward, and the long timer decided the one that was left. Uh, she, she really needed um, what that God had to offer. Um, Basically, if, if you feel like your higher power today is not working for you in your life, then maybe it is. It's time for you to advertise for a new one and get one that works for you, you know. Um, the other thing that one of my sponsors uh, once told me was, it's okay for me to yell at God. And I go, what? <laughs> she goes, yeah, he's he's big enough that he can handle it, you know. Um, and you know, basically, whatever works for you, you know, I would say go for it. The other way um, I feel like I was able to find a higher power or could recommend is to try various vehicles to connect to what you might think is your higher power, whether it's meditation or I looked at some um, spiritual groups or one kind of woo-woo church that I actually loved. And um, I have a dance practice that has really connected me with God. So there's any number of ways to do it. And without talking about outside issues, you know, maybe it's something to talk with other people about how they've done it because I think there's a lot of things we can do to facilitate that connection. Um, someone asked, how do you, please speak about act as if in regards to HP in your working steps two and step three. I mentioned act as if in my um, share because I felt like that was how I came to connect with my higher power. And when I say act as if, um, the example I used was the, praying for somebody for 14 days to remove a resentment. I didn't believe it would work. I didn't know who I was praying to, but it worked. I did it, and it worked. And um, I did the writing I was told to do. I did the, you know, just the, the work that my sponsor told me to do, and some of it was hard for me to fathom at that time because it was steps one, two, and three about higher power. But I just did what I could do to write about or think about, formulate, connect, whatever it was with what, even if it was just a minuscule amount of what I thought a higher power could be or if it was the room, if it was the group, if it was the person. But I, I made it something. I made it something instead of ignoring the questions or the work around it. This one says, my sponsor says that whenever I have a slip, it's because I'm not grounded in steps one, two, and three. Do you agree or disagree? What is your experience? <laughs> okay. What happens for me is I don't receive um, anyone's food. 
I will talk to the person about their food issues. And basically what happens is if your food is going fine and then all of a sudden something changes, um, what I will say to that person is, okay, what happened to you 72 hours ago? You know, three days ago. Because usually that will indicate that you were confronted with a situation and you didn't speak up your highest truth. And so instead of confronting the person, um, you went to the food. Um, but I don't necessarily know that because um, your food changed, that it actually had to do with your step work. Okay, that's basically um, my take on this question. Um, the other thing I want to say about it is, I don't, I don't know exactly what not grounded in steps one, two, and three means, but it does go back to what I was saying for myself, which is that I have to keep going back to those steps. So because one's food isn't working at the time doesn't mean that they don't get steps one, two, and three. They didn't conquer it the first time around. It's a daily thing. And I just think there's a million different ways to work steps one, two, and three and just to keep keep at it. This one is saying, if you're struggling with powerlessness, what do you suggest? Okay, um, you know, for me, I'm powerless over people, places, and things today, tomorrow, and yesterday. Um, I kind of think that what this person is asking or maybe is suggesting is that they're actually not connecting with their higher power. If if they would just surrender whatever is going on, you know, and that means getting back into the literature, writing, using the God can, um, maybe talking to other people, um, and, and seeing if they can get back on track. You know, if there's, um, a fear issue, um, we are all scared about a lot of different things. And most of the time, all of our fears are not really true. It's it's what the mind conjures up, you know. And all I know is, you know, to do um, program prayers and, and ask your higher power to help you. Okay. Um, how do you let go of control of food and of weight? Okay. The thing of it is, I'm not really in control of anything. You know, um, I can I can plan out my food. You know, I can weigh my food. But when I get on that other 
scale. I am not in control of what number is going to pop up, you know, and to the very best of my ability, um, I do what I can, you know, and I have to be honest with my sponsor. And I do the steps, I use the tools, um, I do what is suggested, and I just have to trust that it's all going to work out. I like what Shirley said. Ditto that. <laughs> um, but one of, the, one of the ways for me to get to that place is through um, prayer and writing and meditation and asking for the willingness. Even if it's, like we've said, the willingness to be willing. Because it doesn't come um, easy. It's one of those things, as I was talking about, in, at least in my life, where if I do the footwork and not obsess about the results, that it comes. I get to that place. But it, who knows how long, you know, your road for that will be. It's different for everybody. So, thank you. Um, and could I have my pictures back before I leave? Is there right, Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much to both Shirley and Betsy. So it is now time to close. And uh, please stand and join as we close with the OA Promise. Everybody connected who wants to be connected? <laughs> I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we can never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for a power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. Keep coming back. It works if you work it and you're worth it.